Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. This is Paul's final letter. This is Paul's final words ever spoken that has been recorded. Uh, pretty astounding here. We know we've went through this since July. This is, we're now in part 31, actually we're in part 32, but we're in part 31. That means that we have, I've preached from this pulpit over 31 hours on 2 Timothy uh, and roughly about eight hours each time studying. So you can do your, you can do your math. Roughly 250 hours of study of this amazing letter and uh, the subheading for this morning is this, uh, is the faithful, the faithless, and the foe, or the foes, uh, and what a wonderful letter and journey it's been through these pages of Paul's final letter, I, I've loved it, and uh, I think it's been the most, since I've been, since I've, I've came to Christ, this has been the most in-depth study I've ever done in a book. Uh, no, we're still in the Gospel of John, which we'll get into in a new year. We were in Acts, we were in Ephesians, but this is the most in-depth study I have ever done since my salvation. John Calvin says this of this letter, I know that this letter's done me as much good as any book of Scripture. Every day there is something of value in it. I do not doubt that those who closely study it, if you want the kind of testimony to God's truth that will pierce your hearts, we can do no better than tarry in 2 Timothy. Uh, and I can echo those words from my own life after over the, the time that I've spent uh, hundreds of hours and, and over 30 hours standing here teaching from that. And um, every word that I've wrote from 2 Timothy will be filed. Uh, we're, we're working on that. We're already working on, we're, we're still deal, dealing with Ephesians, so... Every word that's said here, every word that's wrote, not necessarily every word that's said, every word that's wrote in the notes will be recorded, will be filed, will be documented, will be edited, and then will be available to anybody, whoever wants them, who, whatever the Lord does. That's that's is my life work now. So uh, I wish I started 30 years ago, but that's where I'm at. And every single note will be recorded, as Fraser and me is working on that, especially him. Uh, maybe we need to get other people on board shortly or we'll never get through it. Uh, Maybe if that's something that you're interested in, maybe you can speak to Fraser, or you could get you on board, help us go through these notes and putting them together and editing them. It's a, it's a lot of work. Uh, but anyway, that's what we're doing anyway. And as we approach the end of the, the letter of Paul, as we know from last week, he's turned to his own journey. And his journey with others, as we spoke at length last week, that Paul, in the midst of his last days as a prisoner in Rome, uh, only has one thing in his mind, the importance of keeping the word moving, keeping it alive, preaching the word is all that's on his mind. Paul has ran his race and it's now over to Timothy and uh, we have spoke about that at length. Uh, and then whom Timothy passes on to, like the polycaps who I mentioned and the people who came after that, and Paul wrote this letter with that goal in mind to encourage, challenge and demand that Timothy never stop preaching sound doctrine, never stopped. The final words uh, here that we get in these final verses are really no different. Uh, where Paul shares of the faithful, um, the unfaithful, the evildoers uh, and them it continue to do the work of the Lord. And throughout my walk, and I'm not trying to compare here, uh, in any way what Paul's done. Uh, but through my walk, I have had all these types. Uh, I can't say none will never come back to the Lord, but I can say that many probably never will. Uh, and many will not stop being a thorn and a troublemaker, probably in my life and the gospel. Probably never. Uh, it's just how it is. However, that matters not. What matters is, is that we run a race. Doesn't it? What matters most is that we run a race that we hold fast to the word, we endure hardship, we long suffer, and this will come over the next days, weeks and months, more than ever to believers uh, in our lifetime. 
There'll be more hardship and more suffering if men of God truly stand in the word and keep the churches open and going. They're going to face horrendous stuff. Uh, but the key is, is that we never stop speaking the word regardless of the season that we're in. It matters not what season we're in. Uh, many of us had people who you would have never thought would leave you. Correct? If I had to say, put your, no, I don't do that, but people that you thought would baby you forever. And I believe that one of the most maturing things is we're learning as a church about this church today is that few people truly question people's absence. We may ask once, usually, I've not seen so-and-so, that's usually about it. Because a mature believer knows, and this is one of the things I think we've learned as a church, but a mature believer knows, see if somebody doesn't say goodbye. You really don't need to ask why. If somebody never says bye, people come and people go. And this is this whole section here that Paul's talking about. A mature believer knows if someone doesn't say bye or give a reason why they've left, it's usually enough for a mature believer to know what's going to go on. In an early stage when, as a church, when we were a young church, it was full of really weak, including me, believers and social Christians or no even believers at all. And they all were obsessed with who didn't come. If you've ever been part of a church that's no mature, you will find the room and the, 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 the pews full of people who are obsessed about gossiping about who didn't turn up. They love talking about who's not there. In fact, they, they, they have a greater infinity with them that's not turned up. Why? Because they were truly no here themselves. And were victims who wanted a patsy to feel justifiably unwanted and unloved. Hence, they have a greater affinity about them who have gripes and don't come to church. They prefer to be with their type of people. They, they like that. And we were a church years ago that, for years, I've not seen so-and-so. It was all gossip. I've not seen so-and-so for a while. Where's so-and-so? Did they say cheerio to you? No. They never said cheerio to me either. Doesn't mean to say that we, 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 we never tried or we didn't want people to be there. But people love to ask, oh, you know, I've not seen so, oh, what's going on? And what was going on? I'll tell you what was going on in the psyche. The same it was going on in the psyche, Paul. The same it was going on with what people were thinking, Paul. What's Paul done? What's the church done? Very common. In messy churches. Well, they wonder what they've done. Wonder about, I wonder, oh, I wonder. Gossip is what it is. Gossip. Get a more infinity with the uncommitted and the unfaithful and them that can't submit than them who can. Oh, I wonder about, hmm, hmm. We went through that for years. Some of these were probably part of a church that was like that. And more infinity with the backslider who couldn't submit than the faithful brother and sister in Christ who came. You can tell a lot about the health of your church by the sound it makes when people leave. Yeah? You can tell a lot about the church, the sound it makes when people leave. Also, people leaving you tells you a lot about you. Few things give you a greater spiritual MOT, maybe is the best way to say it. You, know, you go in and get that, a winter check. There's nothing that'll give you a greater winter check than how you respond when people leave you. How you act when people leave you. When people desert you. When people turn on you. When people tear you down. It reveals your level of freedom. Of course it reveals your level of faith. But more than that, it reveals your level of servanthood. Nothing, nothing will reveal more how much you imitate Christ than how you handle betrayal and rejection. How you handle betrayal and rejection. Nothing, nothing will reveal how close you are to imitating Christ than how you respond to that. 
Some people handle it. Some people handle it that bad that it doesn't even need to be betrayal and rejection. It just needs to be what they think in their head. That's how bad. Nothing's happened except what goes on in their mind. Paul in these final words doesn't share who left him because he's wounded. But it's not that he wasn't wounded. But it's because he's strong and none will be able to remove his zeal and his call. This is what this whole section is. This is about John MacArthur's subhead in this whole section is just simply friends and foes. For us, it's the, the faithful, the, the, faith, the faithless and the, the, the foes. He simply took God at his word and lived for it. And there's so much we could draw out here, but I, 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 there's too many verses to get really into depth. I could spend weeks in that alone. And Paul had faithful brothers and he'd unfaithful. He had allies and he had enemies. And my experience is, is that you will know of true, deep relationships with brothers in Christ and not have enemies. If you don't have enemies, you don't have deep, deep relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. They come hand in hand. However, both are vital. <laughs> I've learned this, and this is, you know, it's in the word, but I've learned this in my journey. Both are vital. Because they both lead you to trust in God and have a deeper love for your faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. One thing is for sure is this, the greater the enemy, the more we need our brothers and sisters in Christ. The greater the enemy. Yes, we've got the Lord and Paul had that and you'll, read, you'll hear as I read. But the greater the enemy, the greater the need for your brothers and sisters in Christ to be with you and around you and of like-mindedness with you. I remember way back I was facing a lot of abuse and well, never mind way back, it's kind of constant, but this was a biggie. And we were a young church and I was really inexperienced as a pastor, really inexperienced. And I remember the loneliness. No, because the people around me didn't care. It's just because they were too young in their faith to know what to do. It was that simple. They were just so young in their faith that they, they didn't have the capacity to understand. Sometimes as a pastor, the great... <laughs> and I, I've got great people in my life, but sometimes as a pastor, sometimes... <laughs> that you, the, you know what you would do to them. <laughs> you know how you would support them. But not always do they know how to support you because they're not in that role. It's just how it is. And, and, and as we grow and as mature as believers, as this happens, as certainly happened to us as a church, there is a, there's a, a greater connection and love for each other because you face more the, the same things. Often in church, it's the pastor that takes the hits and, and then it, it filters down. But as the church grows in faith, it's... We all take the same amount of hits because we're all standing in the world at the same level. And one thing that happens during persecution, I've learned, is, is, is many believers avoid you. Okay? I read something last week and I was looking for it when I was studying and I couldn't find it. And it was one of the Puritans that wrote about, I think it was Thomas Watson actually, and he wrote about how believers can um, kind of desert persecuted believers it's so true it's so true believers desert and leave and flee from bold believers often this is what was happening to Paul believers avoid persecuted believers because they cannot handle heat I was out for lunch with one guy a few years ago this is only a couple of years ago uh, and he, he was telling us over lunch that they were planning to get a new building. And they were planning for a new building. I've I, I never seen it coming, what he said. And he says, for that reason, Mark, I would like to disassociate you with you for the next six months and no bother speaking to you. Because I know your church is going through and you're going through a lot of persecution and I don't want it to affect my ministry. Seriously. 
That's what he said to us. I thought, thanks very much. Appreciate that. I was a reformed guy. Seriously, we're not talking about charismatic here, we're talking about a reformed guy. He says, I'd rather disassociate with you for a while because it's more important that I get this planning permission. Okay. Yeah. I've seen that so often. That happens, yet due to the word, we can have great comfort. It's no hard when heathens leave you. In fact, it's a blessing. <laughs> you laugh, thank goodness. I thought you would never leave. It's no hard when heathens leave you. It's a blessing. Because a heathen can't betray you. A heathen cannot betray you. Because it's the wounds of the brother that really affect you and hurt you. I hear them can't you betray you. You're glad to see the back of them. Some of you might. Listen, I'd say this, that if some of you struggle with a heathen leaving you, there's a lot of sanctifying work you're going to have to get done in your life. Seriously. If some of you really struggle when heathens leave you, you're in trouble. And the reason you're in trouble is because you'll not be able to handle it how do you think you would handle it if a close brother and sister in Christ leave you? <laughs> God is going to have to do a lot of sanctifying in your life because when so-called believers turn, I will literally destroy you. Destroy you. Some of us are so sensitive that we can't cope with MD no likeness. What about when a brother who you've walked with for years and years and years and years or a sister for years and years and years turn? What would happen? Let me ask a quick rhetorical question. This is, this is interesting, okay? How many of you, right, from the day you were born, know that you can remember the day you were born, okay? For your earliest memories, Right up until today. Have wasted time counting hours, countless hours of crying, worrying, second guessing, people that have left you, people that have bad mouthed you, people that no longer would associate with you, people that slandered you, blah, blah, blah. Think of every waking moment that you thought of that. Regurgitated it. Nursed your resentment. Add all the hours up. I mean, if you're anything like me, you'll no be able to. I need a calculator to add the hours up to you. I can't add them up in my head. I'd need a calculator to add the hours up and I would, I would, need, to know great, I would need to know great mathematics because I would need a wee numbers next to it but to, to multiply it. Those hours, those drives, those moments, those times when somebody said something, done something, hurt you, left you, betrayed you. Add all those hours up and what tends to happen is, is in the kind of, flowery, pragmatic church, you go, think of the hours of peace that was stolen. Don't bother about that. Think of the hours in which it affected your ability to be bold with the gospel. Never mind whether you'd peace. Think of the hours that affected your ability to continue to preach the gospel because you were too busy nursing your pain or what they said to you. And, Do you know what they said? You, you, you know what that stuck? Days, weeks, probably months of your life. For some, it's be even years. Some of even years of their life has been spent trying to deal with the pain of feeling rejected. It's a nice easy Christmas message, isn't it? <laughs> Moira's looking at me like, oh, I shouldn't have came. <laughs> Moira, I know that's not what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm glad I came. Second gear, take all those hours and minutes, add them up and measure them with the time that was wasted that you could have spoken about the gospel. No time you wasted to took peace, but time you could have spent preaching the gospel that souls would be saved. 
Sinclair Ferguson says in his book, if we find suffering for the gospel surprising, we may have already imbibed. False teaching imbibed simply means absorbs. I had to look up myself. <laughs> it means absorb. You've already absorbed false teaching. And at the very least, you've ignored biblical teaching. If we find suffering for the gospel surprising, Maybe we've never stood in truth in the first place. Preachers who do not boldly stand in the word will fold when others face persecution. John MacArthur said when he was when he opened the church, kept the church open. He says three people. Now there would be others who he doesn't know. He's talking about his close associates. He says only three men, out with his, his team in the church, only three men stood with him. Three men. 6,000 people church, I think there have been a half a dozen positive cases of COVID. If anybody was going to get it, let me, can I tell you something? Somebody would have it in here. I just, can I just say, somebody would have it in here, the amount of cuddling and slabbering that goes on in here. <laughs> so, somebody would have it in here. Honestly. Have you ever met a mere snottery pastor than me? <laughs> do you know why? Do you know why it is? Because my head's about. I, I said to mum, I must have been a snottery wen. Because I'm a snottery man. <laughs> because my head's bowed reading, that's what causes it. Somebody would have it here. Would they know? Come on, let's just, Somebody is bound to have had it. How do you mean? We probably have. Amount of cuddling and snorting and greeting, <laughs> hugging and high fives. I kiss and cuddle everybody. I'm touchy feely. <laughs> I kiss and cuddle all the kids, all the time. Holly, Princess Holly. Princess Holly still kisses me on the lips. She's 11. She still gives me a big kiss on the lips and I hope she does it all her life. I hope when I'm old and withered <laughs> that she still runs to me and gives me a big smacker. I did to all the kids. Hannah's a bit like... <laughs> Honestly, if this was as bad as what it was... Yous would be in ICU. <laughs> what do they call it when they face persecution? Them who won't stand by you? You lack wisdom. You're bringing heat to the church. You're not being Christ-like to the world. All right, is that why you don't want to see me so you can get planning permission? Why? When in truth they're compromisers who accommodate the world to avoid friction. They've embraced the world. When George Whitfield preached the word by first finding the word, he was in the group, wasn't he? The Holy, the Holy Club in Oxford. George Whitfield, I'm not going to get into this, right? Right? Don't have time, right? George Whitfield is in this group, the Holy Club in Oxford with the Wesleys. George Whitfield, the word was found because he was part of, he was part of something, he wasn't a believer, just as the Wesleys weren't even though they were studying the word. And George Whitfield gets saved radically through the word. And as he starts, because he's saved, he, starts, he believes in predestination and everything that goes with Calvinism. He, 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 he was flung out of the church because they couldn't handle the heat. So he preached in fields. George Whitfield preached in fields and parks. One of the great stories is when G.C. Ryle says that George Whitfield would stand outside the colliers, outside the coal mines, and he would preach the word. And as the men come up for the pit, he would preach the word to these men. And he says this, I'll paraphrase it. He says, men who were so grateful for a Christ who loved the common man because they had no righteousness in them whatsoever. 
George Whitfield, it was says that the reason he knew that the word had such an effect is because of the white lines that would run down the side of the faces of these men as he preached the gospel. The church shut the doors on George Whitfield. So he went to a place where the doors couldn't be shut to preach the word. Yet the church couldn't handle the heat. John Newton once said this, if you were to ask me, who's the second greatest preacher that you have ever heard, I would be at a loss. But in regards to the first, Mr. Whitfield so exceeds every other that I could not be at a loss to say. Like Apostle Paul, Whitfield didn't stop when the door shut. He just kept on preaching the word. And I don't mean when the door shut, we go in line, zooming. Just had to say that earlier. That's us just going to the verses now. Only 18 to go. <laughs> 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 13. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed to Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to my ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left in Carpus. At Troas, at Troas, when you come. And the book, especially the parchments, Paul is just concluding this later. Paul, as we read, would love to see Timothy before he dies. Why wouldn't he? However, we never know if he did uh, meet him. It would have been based on time. It would roughly take, I guesstimate, about two and a half months to get from Rome to Ephesus. At least, at least two and a half months. Probably longer. Maybe three, four months. So if the letter goes and it takes three, four months to get there, then it takes three or four months to come back. You're talking probably about eight months before Timothy can meet him, so... I think it's maybe unlikely, although I can't, that's just my opinion. Uh, you could hear right away, though, that Paul has faithful people around him. Yet also, many left him. Demas has forsaken me. Ekatalipo is forsaken. Ekatalipo, it's where we would get the word catapult. Catapult. You catapult, you're thrown away. You run away, you abandon, you desert. And here at this, you can hear that Paul is troubled with this or he's been bothered with it. Demas abandoned us. And Demas is not uh, no just a church member here. He's a very close companion to Paul's. He's not just... A fair weather friend, he was a close companion to Paul and it was a huge blow to Paul, obviously, as he's wrote here. And it's also recent that we know that he's left. And the reason we know it's recent, recent that he left, because if you go to the other pastoral epistles, Philemon, Paul talks of Demas. And that would maybe have only been wrote about a year at the most before to Timothy. If you go to this quickly, Philemon, verse 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus. Hear it there? Demas. Demas is maybe just a year before, very much his close companion and joined him in many journeys, but yet he's deserted him when he needed him the most. So Paul here is talking of someone recent. Interesting, this tells us something. This doesn't get any easier. This does not get any easier if you think when you're on your journey that people won't leave you as you get more mature. <laughs> as if you've dealt with all the leaving. <laughs> this is a year before Paul. This is a year. Less than a year, well less than a year before Paul dies and is martyred. And he's getting close. Men of God still leaving him. There's never a stage in your life where people won't leave you. Never a stage. You better get used to it. Because it ain't going away. 
if you think you're going to get to a state, that's why we need to handle rejection better. Because it's going to be forever present. It's like, well, I've dealt with everybody that's left me, really? It seems that Demas could handle some persecution. But when it came to life and death, he could handle hardship to an extent. He could handle people kicking back against the gospel. But see, when it came to life and death, he seemed to not be able to handle the heat. He's not so much, I wouldn't say he's a fair weather friend, but he's certainly not an all weather friend. He's Eucharist, but no Icarus. He can handle good seasons with Paul, but he can't handle all seasons with Paul. What does it say about Demas? Well, it simply says he loved the world. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved the present world. It mattered not what he'd done in the past. He forsake it or forsook it and embraced the world. And that's a mirror for many, many people. Many people, it's a mirror. Interestingly, Calvin points this out. That Paul doesn't accuse Demas as an enemy to the world but he accuses him of retreating to a more comfortable spot in order to escape the blows. And having shrinked in the battles that should have been preparing him, end quote. Isn't that amazing? Paul is not saying Demas was anti the word. It's that he just was not fit for the fight. He loved the world. How many is there, or put it this way, how many is is that echo or mirror in our life that the problem is not that we hated God, is that we embraced the world. He shrunk in the battles prepared for him. Isn't that interesting? Calvin's words. The battles that was prepared for him to strengthen his faith, he avoided them. How many ministers and pastors a day are avoiding the battles this season? The very battle that should be preparing them to become more like Christ and serve the people are avoiding that battle because they've embraced the world and the culture under the guise of loving the world and loving their community. Callum said a good thing the other day. He says to me, I think it was yesterday, Callum says, what about, what about embracing the need for eternity? Those battles are prepared, are what makes us like Christ, but yet many shrink for the battle when heat comes. Yet they're the very things that prepared you and equipped you to become more like Christ. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. As we move on, Crescens we know nothing about, nothing, Except he didn't flee. That's all we know. But he was sent. Yet God seemed fit to name him. Just a faithful man who didn't flee. Titus, we know the... Another prodigy, another... Son in the faith, he, Paul. He was... Trusted. To really go anywhere. He's one of these safe pair of hands... I always call Andrew Beatty, my dear brother in Christ, a safe pair of hands. Doesn't matter where you send Andrew, he'll do a good job. How much do you need day, brothers? Doesn't matter where you send him. And Andrew had to go on an amazing journey as people were growing in the early stages of this church and he had to just settle. That's exactly what I am and that is okay. He's like the tightest. You can send him anywhere and he'll just get the job done. And he's a huge blessing to Paul. Because Paul knows I can send Titus anywhere. I can send him to a church who's struggling and he'll deal with it. I'll send him to a place where there's persecution and he'll be solid. Luke. Tell me about Luke. You don't know anything about Luke, don't you know? Do you know what you know about Luke as he's ever present with Paul? You don't know anything about Luke because nobody writes about Luke. Luke, Luke this is so, this can make you weep for me. 
Luke writes about everybody else. Nobody writes about Luke. But here's the deal. None of us know Paul. None of us know Paul the way we do without Luke. Because Luke penned, as we know, the book of Acts. And we know Paul as we know Paul because of Luke. Luke was ever present throughout. What a servant to Paul. And the one who penned Paul's whole journey, as we know through the book of Acts. So much is so lightly said about Luke. But he's the greatest cheerleader, probably the greatest cheerleader in the New Testament. I don't know if there's a greater cheerleader that you could say. Who's the greatest cheerleader in the New Testament? Luke. He took no limelight. He took no, there's no stories about Luke. There's no, it's just, he's just writing about other people. He spends his whole life devoting himself to making sure people get the message that Paul's putting out. He imitating Christ. Like many of the men we can read of today. You know, the men that we read of today, it's not them that wrote it. <laughs> the majority. Yeah, you've got Calvin's works and different stuff and you've got loads. But it's the majority what we know about the great men of God and the great Puritans today is because of what somebody else decided to write about them. There's a book called The Pastor of Colsaith. And he's nothing major, nothing superstar. But somebody chose to write about him it makes him an astounding because then you see his work because it took somebody to just write that Mark as we know is John Mark the author of Mark's gospel Paul if you remember at the start of his ministry had stern words to say about Mark Mark was very young he actually sent him home Mark wanted to go on the mission trip this is very beginning in Paul's gospel, as you read about it in Acts, you know, 10 or 11. <laughs> he was right at the start of his ministry and John Mark wanted to go with Paul and Paul, if you remember, had an argument with Barnabas, who was John Mark's uncle. And he said, you're not coming. You're not ready. You're not ready. And he sent him back to Jerusalem and he wouldn't have been ready. Do you know how you know he wasn't ready? You ready for it? This is, this is real revelation here. Because he never came. That's how you know he wasn't ready. Because see, if he was ready, and this was at the start of Paul's journey, he planted the church, the first century church. The Holy Spirit would have intervened and says, Paul, you're making a mistake. You need to bring him. That's how you know it was right for him not to include him. Paul knows that, Timothy, that Mark, John Mark was not ready because he was still a bit of a homeboy. Didn't really want to leave Jerusalem. He wanted to play it safe. He just wasn't mature enough. A very important point here. I know at the moment, I know now is not a no. Okay? I know now is not a no. When you're dealing with mature believers who understand why they're saying no. Many is... Many people have quit when I'm not now. Yeah, not now. Think they're being rejected forever. Not now is not no forever. It's not now. But here's the amazing thing. And he's heard the, the gospel of Mark. Because he, the reason is, is because he never took his no now as a quit. And many people that has no now quit forever. And the reason they quit forever is because see, see the reason they wanted to do it was getting nothing to do with the gospel. It was to do with them. I oh, know I'm being rejected. I'm not being picked. I've not been included. No, no. No now. And your no now is no I know. No. Yes. I always used to say, I, I used to say this a lot. And I used to say, God doesn't keep superstars on the subs bench. It's not like taking a resentment. If you're meant to be playing, you're playing. <laughs> you, know what Paul, you know what John Mark done? He went and spent most of his young journey with Apostle Peter. 
Who could have taught him more about rejection? Who could have taught more about having humility than Peter? God would have intervened if Paul's decision was wrong. Some get excluded and quit. And some go and just continue to grow. Paul then says he sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Why did he send Tychicus to Ephesus? To relieve Timothy. How important is it that we've got people who can cover? I'm going to bring Tychicus to you so that you can be relieved, so that you can come and see me. Either Tychicus would have been given the letter to take or he may have arrived sometime before it. I would presume that it was him that was given the letter. How important is it that we have faithful people who can stand in the gap for each other? Stand in the gap for others' gifts. Stand in the gap to give people a break. Paul obviously knows he will never be released from prison, but he also knows winter's coming. So he asked for a coat. I think this highlights two simple things, practical humanity. He knows as it comes to winter, this means that he thinks he's not going to die right away. As it comes into winter, he's going to need a coat. It tells you one thing, that he's very human and he just needs heat's important. Just that simple. It tells you something else, though. It tells you that the horrendous tough conditions that he was living in. He also then asked for a parchment. I love this. This would be more than likely study books. His study books, his notes he took. Again, an important thing. Paul, throughout his life, was a student of God. Here he is at the end of his life and he still wants to study. Don't you love that? I think it's just wonder. Some of them would have been his notes. Some of them would have probably been his letters. Some of them would have been maybe Old Testament. Paul studied under Gamaliel, the Old Testament pastor, preacher who was... Uh, the Old Testament scholar who was a phenomenon. You hear Paul at the end of his life still learning and studying. The longer I'm saved, I know about you, the more I love the word and the more I love to read books. I never read a single book until I was 21 years of age. Not a single book until I was 21. Now I've read hundreds. I've bought and read more books in the last 12 months than I've read in all my combined years put together. The last 12 months. The last 12 months I've bought and read more books than every book that I've ever bought and read in a combined whole 50 year life before it. Why? Because the more you love the word, the more you want to study and learn. Verse 14 and 15, Alexander, but time's really gone here. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him for he's greatly resisted the word. So he's just talked about some faithful people. Here he's talking about an absolute nightmare. A total nightmare. A foe. This man was a constant evil to Paul. He wasn't the only, only anti-Paul's message and the word. He passionately and laboriously tried to take it down. I'm not saying it's the same, but I've had enemies who have hunted me. For years, years, years. We went to, even before we went to Dundee, they were already there telling people not to come to the church before we even arrived in Dundee. Alexander, the coppersmith, did Paul much harm. Therefore, what Paul is saying, not because he values his own life, he is saying he has done me He's done the word and the work of the word much harm. The church much harm and people much harm. John MacArthur says this, Paul devotes almost as many words about Alexander the coppersmith as he does to all the other combined. What does that tell you? What it tells you is that Alexander the coppersmith is no out of sight, out of mind. One of the things that Christians fall into the trap is, is because we're very loving and accommodating and we're very forgiving, that we forgive everybody. And yeah, we should forgive everybody, but we forgive everybody and process it all the same way. It's a bad mistake, people. You need to keep your sword sharp. 
Okay? You need, because what ends up happening is we forgive and we forget. You remember when David, when, when, when Saul repented? It says Saul went back to the, the palace and David went back to the stronghold. Knows the difference between real repentance and, and what happens is, is we keep, I've seen it so many, we many believers. And it's that this flowery Christianity. The devil loves you nothing more than to become blunt with people that you should remain sharp with. And Christians struggle with that. Because we think somehow, oh, I'm not forgiven and I'm not having the right heart. You're having the right heart. It's just not a one size fits all. Some people will hunt you down forever. You don't want to ever get to the stage where you're no alert. We confuse things and the devil loves it. He wants us to treat Alexander the coppersmith like Demas. Alexander the coppersmith's no Demas. Demas wasn't he trying to destroy the world. He just was in love with the world. Big difference. Therefore, we must keep a grip in your mind without it controlling you. Some, some people will never face, and some of you even here will never face a level of hater. Hey, this kind of type of guy. In fact, most won't. You may experience a version of them, but a sustained attack that lasts the length of your life and beyond must be taken seriously. And this sounds like, and it doesn't, if you study this and get into the detail of this, it sounds like Paul is saying, this guy's going to outlive me. Because he's warning Timothy. This guy's going to outlive me and he's going to come after you. And whoever. Paul doesn't say, oh well, forgive and forget. Paul warns Timothy, watch this character. Watch this evil guy. When I'm gone, he'll come after you. He's not going away quietly. He's going to be there. A thorn in your... We don't know it's a thorn you say. He's going to be there forever. He's not going away. I've got enemies that will not go away. As much as I want them, <laughs> they will not go away. One wee thing happens and they're back again. And the, the, the thing is, they, they might outlive me, but I don't want them to outlive these guys here, so you've got to warn them against them as well. And Paul's saying, he will outlive me, this guy. It looks like he'll outlive me. You need to be ready for him. It's not what he's done to Paul. It's what he's done to Christ in the gospel. It's what he's done to the little ones. Matthew 18, 6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better to put a milestone hung on his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We must leave people's deeds up to God, but never think that means that we do not desire justice. Never become so flowery that you think that just... Paul says it. Paul says it. I hope he gets what's coming here, more or less, is what he's saying. He's not going, I hope, I hope it's all right. <laughs> Go to leave up to God. That God will judge his deeds. I think Paul and his total humanness would have had to deal with it. This emotion of betrayal and hatred and this constant attack. It's not the same as verse 16. Verse 16. At my first events, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. This is not the same calibre as Alexander the Coppersmith. Huge difference in tone and spirit here. He's not saying the same thing. One is a man who is hell-bent and destroying the work of the gospel. The others are them who are voiceless. That say nothing that is no... They just are silent. And that can no be great and it can be hurtful, but there's... There's many things that can make people be silent. It's often less to do with you and it's more to do with what's going on in them and their inability to get free for people. Hence Paul answers, don't charge it against him. As we close, I only have time to read these verses, unfortunately. And not expound them, but verse 17, 18, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me 
so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I have delivered out of, I, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, just like Daniel, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever. Amen. No matter what Paul faced, God was with him, rescuing him, protecting him. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Makes you think, doesn't it? See the churches that are shutting and kneeling. You sometimes wonder, were they a church? That the gates of hell are prevailing? If the gates of hell are prevailing, if God says, if Christ says, I will build my church, massive party Christ, reason for coming to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. That means a true church will never fail. No matter what it faces. We'll have people who will stand silent. People who will be like a brother to you. And you'll have them. They'll try to destroy you. But know this, God will always, always let Paul be with you. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. You'll never abandon us. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of Christ. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Listen, let's not read that way context for Philippians. Paul closes his letter with this. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Priscilla and Aquila was the first pastors of the church in Ephesus. You remember that's who he made tents with when he was in his early ministry? Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I've left in my latest sick. We could get into that about healing, couldn't we? We could go and talk about healing there. There you go. He's left sick. What do you know healing for? Because that work's been ceased. Do your utmost to come before winter. Do your utmost to ask him again. He's desperate to see him. He's desperate to see him. He asked him at the beginning of the last part. Come quickly and he's saying, do your utmost. I'm dying to see you, son. So human, isn't it? Don't you think it's so human that Paul, even though he had this amazing relationship with Christ, he needed his brothers and sisters in Christ. Eubulus greets you as well as Puddins, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. He just simply closes with, as always, the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Thank you.